This is podcast number 18 of The Funky Elm on the shoulders of giants. So today I'm going to talk about discipline and how it relates to yoga. Uh, there's a, a guy by the name of Jocko Willink, and he's a former Navy SEAL and a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And he talks a lot about discipline. And when he talks about it, I always think, oh man, I don't even think he un- he knows that yoga connects to discipline. And what he says is profound, and there is a universal truth to the way he presents it. Uh, that's, that's so good. And then <clears throat> today I'm just going to connect it to the Bhagavad Gita and how it relates to yoga. So... There's a thing with yoga and books and translation and stuff. The it's nice because there's it's only one step removed from the original Devanagari. Devanagari is the written form of Sanskrit. It's it's the in their original form, and you can still find it pretty easily. As opposed to other old texts that get translated to Latin or Greek, and then they get translated to English, or they get translated to other languages, and then um, something gets lost a little bit each time with with that. So in this, we go right back, but that doesn't mean that people don't disagree with their the way in which they translate the text. So I have two different copies of the Bhagavad Gita in front of me that I'm going to be referring to. Um, And we're going to be talking about chapter 6. And I've talked about chapter 6 before. It's one of my favorite chapters. It's where Krishna really breaks down uh, kind of hardcore aestheticism, which is like, you know, going off and leaving society and breaking down what that looks like. And he eventually tells Arjuna, he says, hey man, you can't do this. This is beyond your pay grade. You can't do uh, this type of yoga, but your your goal here is to stay and uh, work out your dharma. His dharma is basically of a warrior, and he was meant to fight on the battlefield in this battle that was raging. So... Uh, but in chapter 6, he lays out that some people might be ready for this kind of thing. Uh, I would say that most of us aren't. I know that I'm not ready for this. Uh, and if you think you are, all you got to do is go go away for the weekend by yourself. Nobody else. And spend it by yourself. Not around anybody. So go into a very... Uh, isolated area. This doesn't sound very safe. <laughs> but, um, you know, be by yourself. Because what they would do is they would go to a cave. Or they would go on uh, basically like a pilgrimage. And one of my friends is doing this now. And it's basically, there are places that will, that understand this as a practice. And you can pay them 
uh, basically, I think it's like $15,000 for the year. And you go there and they'll deliver your food, but you won't see anybody because they'll deliver it in the morning and they'll leave it outside the door. They know not to like interact with you. And you won't see anyone for sometimes three years. And your whole practice is your your meditation or your your practice, whatever you're doing. And in this way, you really get a sense of if you could do this. Um, like I've tried things like this. It's really tough. It's really tough. It's tougher than you think for most people. You know, some people could do it like my friend's doing it. So it's amazing. That's the nice thing about the Bhagavad Gita is it gives a bunch of different options in different types of yoga that you would like to explore. Like asana, asana is awesome and it heals the body physically and it calms the mind mentally and it connects you to something great. But as my teacher Raghunath says, it's, it's a condiment. And then I started thinking, he's right. I would never just eat ketchup or I would never just eat mustard or soy sauce or whatever condiment you choose, mayo. It's like all of that is you, nobody would ever just, just consume that. I mean, that's pretty gross and it would be too rich, but, but if you add that to something, to a meal, it can really make the meal great. So, uh, asana is like that in in the traditional yoga world. And if you're looking at places like the, especially in the West, and how yoga has evolved, it's like we flipped it on its head, and asana has become the the mainstay. And I wonder how long how long that can last. You know, just like. Uh, Taibo or Zumba or um, other forms of exercise that have like there's a little bit of a shelf life on them and but the the tradition of yoga and philosophy deals with the problem of the human mind and how easily it's corrupted and how undisciplined it is so we're going to talk about that today we're going to talk about that aspect of yoga because that aspect of yoga that's not going anywhere the philosophy that's been there for thousands of years and people's minds have been agitated for thousands of years so that piece is always going to be there now that doesn't mean that we don't push the physical body and we don't connect the asana to that that's something brilliant that I think we've done in the west is uh, if you go to a, a good studio, you'll see that the teachers are usually trying to connect some tradition uh, of philosophy to the practice that makes it not just a physical movement. So, <clears throat> so we're going to talk about discipline today and how it shows up in the Bhagavad Gita and then how it relates to life. One easy way that we can see that discipline works is with our finances or with our diet. Very, It's just very easy. Um, you want to go on vacation? You want to buy the house? You want to uh, 
and buy the fun thing, you have to be disciplined with your money. You have to save it. You can't squander it. You can't have ultimate freedom with your money. You have to be somewhat disciplined. Same thing with uh, exercise and uh, weight loss. Diet, same thing. I want the occasional excursion to the dark side and the to have some unhealthy, uh, non-nutritious treat. You know, that's, that's okay. But if I do that every day, then that, then it's all going to fall apart. And I'm not going to be able to maintain my health or the fitness level that I want. So we have to be disciplined. And we can't have that stuff every day. It's also like punishing our body internally and... You know, over the long time, all of a sudden, then your karma catches up with you and you have type 2 diabetes or you have heart disease or you have um, some other ailment that doesn't allow you to be free in your body. Sometimes you see somebody and they're walking around very slowly or they're injured or they're elderly and they don't, they no longer have that luster. It's not all discipline that they lack. But that might be part of the issue, is that somewhere along the way they lost that discipline where their physical practice of whatever it is never showed up or didn't start. If they had been disciplined with it, (coughs) if they had been disciplined with it, they may have had a different outcome, right? Sometimes I watch people come into the, the food works, which is a deli by the, the jiu-jitsu and yoga place. And I see the elderly, and they get up very slowly sometimes. And sometimes you get knocked out by illness or injury or whatever. And it has nothing to do with your discipline, with your physical practice or your exercise level. Sometimes it just happens to be, uh, you know, life just hits you. But I want, to, I want to stage that off. I want to ward that off. And I want to do everything that I can in my power to, to make it so I can still go for a hike when I'm older. Like, that's the, that's the goal, right? You still want to be able to move around when you're 80, 70. And you, you want to be able to go on that hike, go on that walk. That requires discipline now. While we can still do it. It's hard because we don't see it. We don't see the connection. So this is the way in which uh, you, there's a dance going on between how much discipline I have and how much freedom I have. There's a dance. Because you could go too far in the discipline direction and then you never have any kind of uh, fun or you're constantly depriving yourself. And... You know, so you need to have a balance because you can't be free all the time either. And diet is the perfect example. You just can't indulge every day. Uh, it doesn't lead to good things. So <clears throat> let's go to the Bhagavad Gita and see what that says about discipline. So one thing I, when I was doing, I was reading for this, and and I, I looked up the Sanskrit word for discipline there's a <coughs> there's a few different words for discipline in Sanskrit 
One of them is yama, and that typically means restraint. And the devanagri is exactly the same for charioteer. And a lot of times they use this as a as an as an analogy. It's a good reference point because the, the charioteer that's like our free will. So or like you could consider like driver of the car, right? Because we don't have chariots anymore. But the driver of the car, there's some freedom that they have there, some free decision making that they can take free will. I want to go left, I want to go right, I want to go to Jericho, I want to go to Pulaski, these are roads by me. Um, you know, I'm going to make these choices because I'm in charge. And yoga tries to teach us that we're in charge of the mind. Now, I fail all the time, all the time at recognizing this. And I think we all do. And I think that's how we learn. I was talking to my son yesterday about learning and how we learn. And I said, man, I learn primarily from making mistakes. Once you accept that, that you will, you will learn from making mistakes, then, in a way, it, it's hard to condemn people as bad people. Or, you did this, so you're horrible now. And because once you do that, you go, oh wait, maybe they're on their process of learning. Like, I don't eat pizza anymore. And man, do I miss pizza. But... I don't need it anymore. It's just not even an option for me because it destroys me internally. It really, it like beats me up. And I, I miss it, but, but I'm disciplined enough now. <clears throat> but I went through stages when, this was when I was in my 20s, where I, I still indulged in pizza occasionally. And then one day I indulged a little too much. I had six slices and man, that did not do good things for my body. So there was a clear action-reaction. And I said, all right, I'm good. I'm good. And I had started to phase it out. So in, in that way, I knew that I, it took me time to, be, to, to, to get to a disciplined place. Once I started applying that to myself, I started to could see it, the potential in other people. And maybe there was, I had a few friends who had, you know, uh, issues with addiction. And occasionally they would go back to their drug of choice. And hopefully, and if you're open to it and you learn from that experience, you know, a lot of them have come out cleaner on the other side and more disciplined because they realized, oh, I get it now. And for me, I realized some, sometimes these things take years to work themselves out. So, and Krishna even says in the Gita, he says, don't degrade yourself. And he says, do it step by step. Do it step by step. And there's this beautiful dance that he uses with the word discipline. Uh, the word he typically uses in chapter 6 is yunjata. And, and this could also be deep, deep concentration. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. 
so, this is chapter 6 in text 10. Uh, the yogi should should concentrate constantly. That's the yunjata. Should be disciplined on the self. Remaining in solitude, alone, with a controlled mind and body. Having no desire and destitute of possessions. So, he's, he's basically an affirm and he's going, Hey man, this is one type of yoga. You could go away. And you could be, uh, you could remain in solitude. You could be alone and try and control your mind and your body, having no desire and destitute of all possessions. Kind of like giving up all of your, your bouginess. <laughs> I have a friend who did a post. He said he was a hippie, but then he said, he, but he's kind of bougie. <laughs> it's kind of like that. So six. This is going to be six eleven. And in this, I love it because he tells them how to meditate. You want to know how to meditate? A lot of us in the yoga world, we have a lot of the ideas on meditation. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. Right? Krishna's telling you right here how to do it. He's, he's going to lay it out for you. In a clean place. Oh, establishing a firm seat for himself in a, or herself in a clean place. Not too high, not too low. Covered with a cloth, an antelope skin, and kusha grass. All this stuff is to keep off bugs. Because, you know, in this you're outside, you're on the floor. And some of these things that he describes are natural insect repellents. You don't want to be too high because you don't want to fall off (laughs) and get injured if you fall asleep. Uh, So then he says, there, having directed his mind or her mind, to a single object with this thought and activity of sense control seating himself herself on the seat he or she should practice practice that's a good word so one thing to be to practice required discipline yoga to practice yoga for the purpose of self purification to purify the self now, that just doesn't mean like like we see like cleanse and, oh, I'm going to cleanse my body and, you know, I'm going to do a juice cleanse or whatever. And when I owned the cafe, I would never say, you know, do a, do a juice cleanse and this is going to detox your body. I would always say, hey, do this juice cleanse. It's going to jumpstart your health. Because to me, cleansing, one, takes years and time and you just gotta stop eating the crap that you're eating so in this way uh that's an interesting way he uses it you gotta cleanse the mind too holding the body head and neck erect motionless and steady gaze at the tip of his or her nose and not looking in any direction with a quieted mind banishing fear Established in Brahmachari, which is a vow of celibacy, so he's going hardcore, controlling the mind while thoughts fixed on the divine. He should sit concentrated, devoted to the divine. So basically looking to put a something else inside of your your 
your mind. So, I mean, if that's if you are a, a devoted Christian, you know that could be putting Jesus there. If you are in connection to this tradition or the Bhakti tradition, you could put Krishna there. If you are a part of the Shaivite tradition, that could be putting Shiva there. <clears throat> the goddess tradition, you could put you know Durga or Kali there, but it's putting the divine and and some kind of something beyond yourself. And for some people that's kind of like putting the void there, putting the like the the whole an emptiness there. And that's part of it. I mean, that, that's that's all different traditions in the world, but basically not not thinking. Okay, I am my mind. I am my body. Trying to get away from that. Trying to realize that you have a mind and you have a body, but you're not necessarily bound to those things. Thus, continually disciplining himself. There's our yunjata, or there it's yunjan. Thus, continually disciplining himself, herself. The yogi whose mind is subject, whose the mind is subdued then, goes to nirvana, to supreme place, to union with the divine. So in this way, nirvana, it's actually grammatically negative. So nir is like negating, no, and vana is like, similar to prana, uh, vana is like the current, the current of life. So you have nirvana. So we're on something what they call samsara, which is a wheel, and this wheel is like kind of. I, mean, I always think of it like a Ferris wheel, and you're on this ride, but you're not allowed to get off the Ferris wheel. Like you can get on a different cart, right? But you, you're on some. You're in samsara. Right, and you're on the Ferris wheel, and you, you can't leave the gate. Like, there's the creepy guy who's like getting paid like seven dollars an hour, who's like collecting your ticket. He's not letting you out. <laughs> you're you're in the loop. Nirvana is getting off of that loop because this loop of samsara is pleasure. It's pain. It's pleasure. It's pain. It's pleasure. It's pain. I mean, go through your day yesterday. I'm sure there was some pleasure. I'm sure there was some pain. I'm sure there was issues that came up. So, in this way, this is life on samsara. So, nirvana is negating the current of life. So, you get off samsara. Back to the book. Yoga is not eating too much, nor is it not eating at all. And not the habit of sleeping too much, and not... And not keeping awake either, Arjuna. It's kind of clunky the way they say that, but it's it's clunky in every tradition. Every uh, every text I read, it's always clunky. For him who or her who is moderate in food and diversion, diversion, and that makes sense. Whose actions are disciplined. So here we have disciplined whose actions are disciplined, who is moderate in sleep and waking. Yoga destroys all sorrow. Uh, sorrow is dukkha. So a lot of times in yoga, you'll you'll see these two words together, sukha and dukkha. 
and the do part of the dukkha, it's it's an uh, the way it's described is an uneven axle hole. So basically, the I always describe it as the the shopping cart that you get uh, that the one wheel just doesn't quite move with the other wheels, and you get a very clunky uh, execution of an of the, of the action. That's dukkha. So he's saying yoga, yoga bhavani dukkha, which is yoga and the 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 bhav, the the mood, right? Uh, you know, it becomes bhavani. It becomes, it destroys the dukkha, dukkha. When he is absorbed or she is absorbed in self alone, in the self alone, with the controlled mind. Imagine that, a controlled mind. That'd be amazing. Free from longing, from all desire. Then he or she is said to be a saint. As a lamp in a windless place flickers, as a lamp in a windless place does not flicker, to such is compared the yogi with a controlled mind performing the yoga of the self. Yoga Matmanam, Yoga of the Self, a lamp in a windless place. It doesn't flicker, no wind. So he's comparing that to the mind. <laughs> that was my dog. <laughs> when the mind becomes, when the mind comes to rest, restrained by the practice of yoga. Restrained by the practice of yoga. Like, if you think about that, the more you practice yoga, the more you make the mind get restrained. Now, the way you can equate this to jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, is if you go in, so people want to get better right away. They, they want to learn a move and then boom, they pull it off. And it just doesn't happen like that way. At least it doesn't for me and most people. There are some phenoms who you teach a move to, and then they, they implement it, boom, that day, you know, against somebody of a decent level of skill. So to practice something, to practice jujitsu, to practice judo, to practice a martial art, to practice an instrument requires that for, for a good portion of time, it's not happening for you. It's not working. But you have faith, shraddha. Shraddha means faith in Sanskrit. You have faith that the person who put you on that path, that they've done something with it. They've, they've achieved some kind of success with what they're talking about. And in this way, to restrain, you learn how to restrain the mind. You learn how to reel the mind in. Most people, their mind is a place of uh, continual thoughts. Continual thoughts. So to learn how to restrain that and get a hold of it, like a charioteer, that's a very beneficial thing. Back to the book. He says that once you do that, you are content with yourself. You're content with yourself. He or she knows that infinite happiness which is grasped by the intellect 
and transcended by the senses, and established there, does not deviate from that truth. So once you once you get a hold of this, buddhigraham, which is um, like your intelligence, you've grasped the hold of it, and you, and you actually have it. So many times in my life, I've I've felt that slipping, like I don't have intelligence in this moment. Having attained this, no greater gain can he can he or she imagine. Established in this, he is not moved even by profound sorrow. So you've made this connection. It, this is one of the most beautiful uh, shlokas in the Gita. Uh, I've talked about it before. It's really, really beautiful. Let this, the disillusion of union with pain, the disillusion of the union with pain, be known as yoga. This yoga is to be practiced with determination and with undismayed, uh, with an undismayed mind. Let this disillusion of let this disillusion of union with pain, of union with, with pain, right? So the words there are dukkha samyoga, yoga, uh, sorry, sam, samvidyam, dukkha samyoga, viyoga, yoga samjanatam. So dukkha samyoga, he said, listen to me, like tamvidyam, it's like in the imperative. Listen to this knowledge. Like vid, vidyam, vidya is like video. It's like, uh, like it, it cognates with the same word. Tam vidyam. Let this be known. Listen to me. It's imperative that you know this. Your union with pain. Dukkha sam yoga. V yoga. That's disillusion. That's not yoga. V means no. V yoga. Yoga samjinatam, the the understanding that you are united with your dukkha. This then becomes yoga. It's very uh, very impressive way to say that. So, a lot of times you hear people talk about yoga, and you know, and you know, it, it's like made up, whatever they're saying. And I always feel like if they open the Bhagavad Gita, there's so much rich, rich understanding of what yoga is and definitions that there's no need to make up this or that. You can go right to the book and find brilliant definitions of yoga. Abandoning those desires whose origins lie in one's intentions. All of them, without exception, and completely restraining them. The multitude of senses senses with the mind. Little by little, he should come to rest. He or she should come to rest. Little by little. I, <laughs> I love that. Little by little. With the intellect firmly held. With the buddhi. Buddhya. So uh, the buddhi is the understanding that you are not this body. Sometimes when you're in your mid-twenties, it's easy to think that you are your body. As you get older, 
the body breaks down a little bit. You start to realize, okay, I guess I'm not this thing. Because in your mind, you still may be, and what to speak of, 70, 80, right? The mind, many times, is still very youthful. But the body has aged. It's a different body. But the mind is still the same. Or the, the operator in the machine. Little by little, he or she should come to rest with the intellect firmly held, the mind having been established in thus the self, in the Atman. He should not think of anything. Whenever the unsteady mind moving to and fro wanders away, he or she should restrain it and control it by the self. So again, restrain it, control it. We're talking about discipline. Thus constantly disciplining himself, the yogi freed from evil, easily encounters Brahman. Brahman is like the divine. Attaining happiness beyond end. He who is disciplined by yoga sees the self, the Atman, present in all beings. This is beautiful. If you're disciplined in yoga, you see the Atman, the, the soul, present in all beings. And all beings present in the self. He or she sees the same self at all times. So basically, you're seeing the spark of the divine in everybody. Because you realize you have a spark of that in you. So, if this, if you start to see this, it's kind of hard to hate people. Because you realize everybody's got a spark of that in them. And to the degree that we get to discipline ourselves is in many ways the degree in which we make right choices. Because for me, I'd like pancakes and zabayon every night. That's a dessert. That's out of this world. <laughs> but that's not good for me. So... <clears throat> And I think it's a constant, a constant working with. You know, you're constantly working towards, towards refining yourself and finding other places to be disciplined in your life. Some people are very disciplined in one way, and they are incredibly undisciplined in another. And in, in a way, you work towards, okay, now I have this new goal. Okay, how do I... Okay, I'm going to fail at this many times. And then one day, when I wrap my head around it, then I'm good to go. So this, this chapter 6, it concludes with this one, uh, one sloka, which I really like. The last sloka in chapter 6 is really, really beautiful. And it's 647. 6.47. And he says, Yogi Namapi Sarvasam. So, of all the yogis, now it's really cool to know uh, is that there's many different types of yoga. And there's many different ways in which you could practice yoga. 
Some people are vegetarian. Some people are not vegetarian. And this is of the yoga tradition. Uh, some people, they practice asana. Some people don't practice asana. Some people, they uh, want to meditate on divinity. Some people think that divinity is within them and they're meditating on that. So there's many different types of yoga that, that can very much conflict with each other. Uh, at least they're, they're the way they practice their their craft. And I don't mean like modern day, oh, you do vinyasa and I do Iyengar. I don't mean that. I mean like the philosophy, the tradition of yoga. So he says, of all these yogis, yogi pisarvasam, all the yogis, he who has merged his inner self with the divine and honors the divine in full faith is thought to be the most devoted and the most dear to the divine. So in this way, basically, if I can see the divine in others and I can see the divinity within myself, this is the goal of yoga. While handstand is super cool, and while Hanumanasana, the full split, is really impressive, it really, uh, that's just the condiment. The real aspect of yoga, and what everybody like wants yoga to be, which, you know, if you see a yogi, or a quote-unquote yogi, and they're like losing it on somebody else, and they're like, you know, belittling them, or, you know, talking down to them, automatically you're like, that person doesn't know yoga. So in a way, it's like we instinctually know this, that to value somebody's soul and treat them like a soul, that's so important. And that's like the main, one of the main tenets of what he's saying here. You got to find the divinity within yourself. You got to realize that's going on. And then you got to find the divinity in somebody else, even somebody you doesn't like, you don't like. Talk about discipline. That takes discipline. Because you're going to have ample opportunity today, today, to put that into use and to see how that goes. All right. Well, discipline. It helps me, uh, like, become more disciplined. And I, I realized that the other day I was trying to fast. And as I was trying to fast, I went to a friend's house for a UFC thing. And there was all this delicious food that was put out. And I was there, and not only was it delicious, it was free. Not only was it free, it was nutritious and healthy. And food that I would normally eat. And as I was sitting there debating, <laughs> right? Because in my mind, I'm like lamenting. I'm like fighting off this. Uh, you know, should I be disciplined here? Should I, oh, I should break. Oh, I'm being rude. I'm going through all these like things in my head, right? <coughs> and I broke. And I had some of the food. And I could feel my discipline break. And I thought, Next time, I'm not going to do that. Next time, I'm not going to do that. And maybe 
I do that next time. And maybe I say it again. But that's how I learn. It's almost like the way I'm programmed, which is, I got to fail. I got to fail. And then I learned my lesson. Maybe that's not very economical. (laughs) And maybe in a few years, I'll have realized that. And I won't have to fail anymore. I'll just be able to see it. I'll see that forethought. Wayne Dyer talks about this. In that he says, uh, one of his friends who's, <laughs> who's a writer, she, uh, she went to a workshop, a writing workshop, and they said, write down the chapters of your life. And she said, chapter one, I'm walking down the street, and I fall into a hole. And she goes, I'm so pissed off that I'm in this hole. I'm angry. I can't believe this hole was there. And it takes a really long time to get out. Chapter 2. I'm walking down the street. I fall into a hole. I can't believe I fell in this bloody hole again. I did it again. How foolish am I that I fell in the hole again? And I realized that part of this was my fault. And I get out right away. Chapter 3. I fall in the hole again. But I realize right away what I did. And I get out right away. Chapter 4. I walk down the street. I see a hole. I step around the hole. And I don't fall in. Chapter 5. I pick a new street to walk down. So in that way, I feel like this this is how we learn things. And then you become disciplined where you go, oh, I know it's on that, that path. And I'm going to not go down that, <laughs> that street. I know what lies down there. So this is a, a way in which we can work with our discipline and work with that the thing that Krishna's talking about. The discipline, the, the yama, the understanding that those things are there to actually help us. The discipline is there to help us. So, have a great day. Thanks for checking in. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to go take a class at the Funky Ohm, the two yoga studios, um, and or go to... Um, Om Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, if you're into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and you want to try it out, we have new student specials at uh, both places. And right next to Om Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there's the Om Organics Cafe that has a lot of healthy, nutritious treats, um, as well as a lot of keto options. And uh, the only sugar they use there is maple syrup, honey, or dates. Um, And like I said, there's a lot of keto options for keto-friendly people. So... Check that out. Until next time.